Let's pray. God, how incredible it is. How incredible it is to think that you go before us and you're around us, you're behind us, that you never leave us, you never forsake us. God, it's, it's hard to wrap our brains around that because it seems like in our experience, so many people come and go. Thank you, God, that you are faithful, that you're faithful to us, that you're faithful to your word, that you're faithful to your nature and character. And God, that you love us. Thank you so much, God, that you're here today, that you've got a word for us, that God, you want to draw us to you, that we might live for you more fully. Change us, God. Transform us this morning, just now, at our core. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. How's everybody doing? I, you know, I think I'm a weirdo. <laughs> Watch it, who said that? Um, because yesterday afternoon I was just loving the snow. When I got up this morning, when I got up this morning, went out to get the paper, the, the, you know, the sun is not up, but the light is just starting. The sky was clear blue, and I looked out, and the grass is green like it's supposed to be in the spring. White snow on top of it. It just was very, very cool. I loved it. Um, God gives us all kinds of good gifts, and some we don't recognize, right? Uh, he, he does incredible things. We're glad you're here. If today is your first time at, at North Point, um, we are thrilled that you're here. And, uh, and if last week was maybe your first time at North Point or first time in a long time because it was Easter um, and you're back again, that's, that's incredibly cool. It, it takes a lot of um, courage to come to church for the first time. It takes a, a ton of courage to come back and, and say, especially the week after Easter, and say, was what I experienced last week real or not? I, I want to know, God. I, I want to know. And so we're glad that you're here. Uh, uh, it's, it's really cool. We're in this series called um, Living the Dream. It's from the book of Philippians, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And, um, and he wrote it to explain to them, this is what it looks like. This is the dream that God has for you. This is what life in him looks like. And it's a really, really cool thing. Uh, last week, um, we, we talked about, the, in the message, we talked about the first 11 verses of chapter 3. And if you weren't here, or if you kind of thinking, okay, what was, what was the message on Easter all about? I've got a reminder for you, and it's, it's, uh, it's like of epic proportions. So take a look on screen as a review of what happened last week in the book of Philippians. Yeah. <laughs> 
feel like I should come out with a lightsaber. <laughs> you know, I, actually, I think what I really want is for John Williams to score music underneath my message each Sunday. That would, that would just be a really cool thing, wouldn't it? Um, the, Philippians 3, last week, remember, we, we talked that Paul said, the essence of those first 11 verses was that Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection to share with him in his suffering so that I can experience the resurrection with Jesus, so that I can have that place in God's presence eternally. That's what it's all about, knowing Christ, knowing the power of his resurrection. If you've got your Bibles, take them out and turn to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to pick up right where we left off after those first 11 verses. We're going to start with verse 12. If you've got an electronic device, a phone, whatever, we're in the ESV and the English Standard Version. If you don't have a copy of Scripture, um, feel free to take one uh, to just uh, take one out of the pews in front of you. You can go there and, and check out Philippians. It's towards the back. Um, if you don't have a copy of Scripture at home and would like to have one, like to have a paper copy, not like an electronic copy, stop at the Connect kiosk after the service, and we've got some copies that we would love to just make available for you to have so that you could take notes, that kind of thing. Paul, Paul says... Into verse 10 and 11, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to share in his suffering so that I can experience ultimately the resurrection uh, with Jesus. He says this in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained it, that knowing Christ, that the resurrection, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this same attitude. And if, any, if, anything you have a different attitude, if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we've already attained. Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of the resurrection. I want to experience ultimately um, resurrection with, with Jesus when I leave this earth. But I haven't gotten that yet. I haven't experienced that perfection yet. I don't have it all figured out. I'm still trying to figure out what it means to love Christ more, to live that out on a daily basis. It's an ongoing process for me. I'm not there yet. And it's so helpful for us, I think, to recognize that Paul, called by Jesus to be an apostle, Paul said, you know what, I've not arrived yet. And he says, because I'm not arrived, here's what I've got to do. I've got to forget what lies behind, and I've got to press on to what's out in front. Forget what lies behind and press on to what's out in front of me. Um, forgetting what lies behind is sometimes... A difficult thing, isn't it? Um, you know, one of my favorite movies, probably indeed one of the most important movies of all time, is the movie Napoleon Dynamite, right? Um, can, can I get a woot woot on that? <laughs> there we go, Napoleon Dynamite. Um, when, you, when you start talking about forgetting what is in the past, there's a character in Napoleon Dynamite that lives that out. You know who that is? 
Uncle Rico, yeah, man. Can you picture Uncle Rico with a football? He's throwing, I can throw that ball over the mountains. You know, I can throw it a quarter of a mile. Uncle Rico says, you know, if the coach had just put me in in high school, we would have won state. If he, if he just would have put me in. Um, you know that you can get an NFL trading card that's been Photoshopped to have Uncle Rico as the quarterback of the Denver Broncos. Pretty incredible thing. Uncle Rico couldn't let go. He's 40 years old, whatever, and he's still, he's young, but he's still living in the past, right? He's still thinking back to what, what it would have been like in high school if I had gotten in the game, if I had a chance to win the state. There, there actually is a movie that's probably, not probably, it's, it's a significantly better movie that, that, that has a character that's similar to this. It's the movie Hoosiers, Gene Hackman, uh, back from the 80s, it's about this small town, uh, Hickory, Indiana, and their, their high school basketball team that ultimately wins the state championship. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it in 30 years, uh, tough luck. Um, you know, uh, but there's a character in, in Hoosiers named Shooter, Shooter Flash. He's a, he's a man that grew up in Hickory, and he understands how important basketball is to the town of Hickory. When he was in high school and was playing, they were in the regional, in the, at the regional level of the state tournament. It was the first time they had ever gotten that far. And, and Shooter tells a story in the movie. He says, I had the ball. We're down by one. The time's counting down. Five, four, three, two. Let go of the shot. And it bounced off. I missed it. We lost. And you know from what happens in the movie that Shooter's life has been... Um, has been changed forever by that missed shot in the basketball playoffs. Um, for the rest of his life, he would go around the town of Hickory and, and they would say, oh yeah, that shooter, he missed the shot that could have won the regionals for us, that could have gotten us there. Shooter becomes an alcoholic. He has a broken relationship with his son. He lives up in the, in the hills in a, in, a, in a really poor, desperate place. He can't escape the past. Does that, does that describe you? Does that describe some aspect of your life? Deb and I, a, a while ago, were counseling with a, a couple, and we talked to this woman. Um, the, the couple, uh, they, they were followers of Jesus. They'd been, been married over 30 years, over 30 years. And the woman could still recite word for word something that her husband had said to her um, in the first few months after they got married. It was something that was incredibly hurtful, that had, that had ripped out her heart. And, and for the last 30 years, she's been bringing that up, and it's been a wedge in their marriage relationship. She couldn't let go of the past. He'd, he'd ask for forgiveness. He'd explain that he didn't intend for it to be hurtful, but she couldn't let go of it. Does that, is that you? Uh, th this past week, I, I talked to a, a gal who's in her 20s that I knew about 10 years ago. And I knew her because uh, she, had, she had committed a felony. And, and she, had, uh, she had ended up pleading down the, the felony. And she had come to work in the church office where I was to do community service there. That had happened 10 years ago. And she still hadn't really shared that with people outside of her family. 
She didn't know Jesus then. She just came to the church to do community service. But it's still difficult for her to let go of the past. That's, that's the story of our lives, isn't it? We, we carry this baggage. We think back to that time that we got drunk in high school or college. And the stuff that happened as a result of that, that's left this indelible mark on our life. We think about that argument that happened in our marriage when, when our marriage just kind of exploded and things have never really been the same again. We think about that decision that we made at that one point in time to lie or to cheat or to steal. We think about that first party that we went to and what we experienced there. We think about that moment of rage that we experienced that ended up when we hit our spouse and the mess that that created. Paul says, in order to have the right kind of relationship with Jesus, we've got to forget the past and strain to what's out in front of us, strain to what's forward. Paul doesn't say the past doesn't matter. The past does matter. There's no way that we can just throw that away and, and pretend like it never happened. It does matter. We've got to come to grips with that, but we can't live in the past like Shooter, like Uncle Rico. The past is a part of who we are, but it doesn't define and control our future, right? We can't allow it to. That's not God's desire for us. It's not to deny the stuff in the past. It's not a cover-up. It really happened. It really is a problem, but it doesn't have to define my future. It doesn't have to control the way I act right now. Our past brings with it guilt and regret and disappointment. But understand this, what Jesus did on the cross was to give grace to cover that guilt, that resentment, that failure that happened there. Jesus came so that he could take that, off, that baggage off of our back and release it so that we could live for him now and for eternity. Who was it that wrote those words, forgetting what lies behind? It was the Apostle Paul, right? He was the guy who in his zealousness as a Jew had said, you know what, you've got, to, you've got to be a good Jew this way. The Christians aren't. They deserve to go to jail or be killed. Paul throughout his life, we don't know it in Scripture, but you know it had to happen. Paul had to encounter people who were followers of Jesus that Paul had arrested their family members that he had been responsible for those family members or close friends being put to death and executed because of their faith in Jesus. Paul, with all of that baggage, says, forget what's in the past and press forward to what's in the future. You know, um, past failures are hard to forget, that, that junk that we carry with us, but sometimes it's hard for us to forget past successes as well. Sometimes we get to a place in life that we kind of coast because God has blessed us in the past. We say, oh, in my work life, you know, remember that killer deal that I, that I made like five years ago? I made all that money for the company. They would never let me go because I made them all that money way back then. And so we just kind of coast through the process. Maybe a 
maybe in our marriage we say, oh, remember all those things that I did on that night that I proposed? All that scenario, you know, there, there was the flash mob that came in and, and sang, you know, there, there was the Elvis impersonator that came and sang, love me tender as we ate dinner. That, all of those things I did, I don't need to do anything for the rest of my life in my marriage because I did it all that night. That set the stage. We rest on our success as much sometimes to our, um, to our uh, it, it becomes a problem for us as, as much as our failures. Sometimes even when you think about our relationship spiritually, we say, oh, God, remember, remember that guy at work or the neighbor that we invited to church? We invited them to church and they came to church and not only did they come to church, they became followers of Jesus. And now they even work in kids' world. It's incredible. God, that, yeah, there we go. And it's, God, it's because it's that invitation that I gave. Or we look at our own life and we say, oh, God, you know, I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. I, you know, I, I, I even go on junior high overnighters with the kids from church. I, 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 I help prepare communion. I've served as an elder or a deacon or a teacher of, of connector. I lead a life group, whatever it is. And we think that we've done all this stuff and we rest on our success that's happened in the past. And we miss the challenge to press on to the future. How do you forget the past, whether it's good stuff or bad stuff? I think it's that we recognize what's happened back there, but we begin to take our focus off living in the past. And we put our focus on the future, that we see our present through the future eyes that we have. Y'all yeah, know I, I love sports. The, what separates the, the elite athletes from all the rest? What separates the very best from very good? It's, it's the ability to forget the past, right? It's the pitcher who can throw the ball 95 miles an hour have it go 425 feet out of the stadium and turn around and say, I'm getting you next time. That last one doesn't matter. It's the quarterback who can throw an interception and turn around, come right back on the field and say, yeah, what interception? March down the field and take them to victory. It's the ability to forget what's happened in the past, to not live in the past, but to see the goal, to see the prize, and to press forward to it. Paul says, forget what's in the past and press on to the future. Press on to the goal. Grasp for the prize. The picture that's there in the Greek is of an athlete that's straining, that's working, that's doing everything he can. The best picture for me is, because uh, I don't do this, is a rock climber. I, I watch those guys climb rocks and, it, and it, it, I'm astounded because every muscle in their body it's tensed up as they try and figure out where the next hand goes, where their next foothold is, and they work their way up. They're, they're straining to get to the top of the rock face, the top of the mountain. That's what Paul says. That's what we're called to do. Forget the past and strain forward in your relationship with, with Jesus so that you can receive the prize of the high calling in God through Jesus, so that you can experience that relationship. It's, it's the picture of a running back carrying four or five guys into the end zone. It's the picture of, of a politician, of a candidate, 
traveling all over the state, stopping four, five, eight, ten times in one day in order to do everything that they can to win the election or uh, to get those electoral votes. It's the picture of a runner who hits the wall that wills themselves to move one foot in front of the other, straining forwards to reach the prize. Sam Rotman is a classical pianist that tours the country and the world now. I met Sam a number of years ago. Um, he learned how to play the piano when he was nine years old. And by the time he was 11 years old, uh, he determined as an 11-year-old kid, I want to be the best classical pianist in the world. That's, that's my goal in life, to be the best classical pianist. If I, if I want to do that, I've, I've, got to, I've got to strain like nobody's business. He was accepted into the Juilliard School, went there for, for, uh, for his undergraduate degree. And I heard, I heard him talk about it. He said that while he was at Juilliard, he went to normal classes and he practiced 11 hours a day. 11 hours a day at the piano playing. He said he did that seven days a week. 365 days a year. He said, ah, that, that's not really true. There are some days that, that, I, you know, that I'd take a break and slack off a little bit and only practice four or five hours on those days. Um, and we think, man, that's incredible commitment and passion to his craft. That's the picture that Paul says. Everything strained to achieve the prize of the high calling in Jesus. What, what is the goal? What is the goal for us? It is the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The goal isn't simply to be saved. The goal isn't to live a trouble-free life here on earth. The goal isn't to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. The goal is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. To live the life that God has called you to, the life that he wants to transform you into, it's to have the Holy Spirit living in us, through us, everything that we do touched by His presence and His power. It's to have my life dominated by the presence of God. Everything that, every conversation I have, everything that I see, seen through that filter of Jesus' eyes. It's to live a life that's worthy of the redemption that's available to us because of Jesus. What happens when we take our eyes off the prize? What happens when we begin to coast? We, we get in great danger, don't we? Just about a year ago, April 13th, I think, of, of 2015, there was a track meet, the Pepsi Invitational. Um, uh, we're going to have a video kind of run behind me. There was a runner from Oregon named, named Tanjay uh, Pepiot. Pepiot had a commanding lead in this race, in the steeplechase race. He had, had completed the race. He's, he's heading down towards the finish line and raises his hands to the crowd, asking them to cheer for him, basking in their adulation. And in that gesture, when he took his eyes off the prize, Merlon Simon from Washington passes him and wins the race. What's at stake for us if we take our eyes off the prize? We could miss it completely. It's so easy for us to rest, to, to just put everything on hold, and to, and to fail to pursue that relationship with Jesus in the way that God wants us to, and to lose the race. Paul says this in, in verse 13, Brethren, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, 
But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 17, he says, Brethren, join me, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Paul said, if you want to pursue that life, that commitment to Jesus, follow my example. I haven't attained it yet. I don't have it all figured out. I'm not perfect, but follow me as I follow Jesus. And if you can't follow me, follow people who are on that same path. We've got to have a model to show us what it looks like to live for Jesus, right? I had a conversation, uh, you know, sometimes in your life there are conversations that shape, that really shape your whole perspective on life. I remember this conversation, it, it probably happened, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago. Um, I, was, I was talking to this woman who, um, who grew up in a family that was pretty dysfunctional. The, the parents um, uh, loved their kids, but probably didn't show it in all the right ways. And, and, um, and this this uh, woman that I was talking to was talking about, how did my life end up different than the lives of all my siblings? The lives of her nieces and nephews were, were a mess. You know, there was just kind of all this dysfunction and carnage that was around. And, um, and she's raising kids and, and has a godly home where there's peace and good stuff happening. She said, how did my life end up differently? Um, she said, we all grew up the same way, and we all recognized that when we began to have kids, we knew what we didn't want to do as parents. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do this, because that's what our mom and dad did, and it was bad. But for her siblings, they didn't have any other kind of model, and this particular woman said, my life's different because of my in-laws. Because in my in-laws, I could see a godly example. I could see what, what it looked like for them to live out what it meant to be godly parents and godly grandparents. When I come to a decision about my kids and I think, what do I do about that? I think, what would they do? Oh, I've seen them do this. I've seen them do that. And I follow their pattern as they follow Jesus. We need that kind of model, Right? For me, that conversation was, it was tremendously significant because I, I don't know that there's been any time that I've done premarital counseling with a couple since that time that I haven't said to them, here's, here's one of the things that you've got to have um, in your arsenal to have a lasting marriage. You've got to find a couple that you look up to, that you've got a relationship with, that you look at them and say, I want, I want our marriage to look like that. Those people, that's what I want it to look like. I said, find that couple and then take them out to dinner. Invite them over to your house. Do everything that you can to have them invest in us so that you can say to them, you guys have been married a long time. When I get so angry at my spouse that I want to spit, what do I do? Because they can talk you through that because they've been there. They can lay out that model. They can show what it looks like. Same thing with young parents. I say to young parents all the time, find a couple that, that are a family that you say, I love the way that they relate to each other and the way that they relate to their kids. And then do everything that you can to hook onto them and say, teach me, help me, show me how to do what you're doing. Show me what it looks like to allow godly principles to, to be injected in every aspect of my relationship with my kids. Paul said, 
You've got to have an example. You've got to have a model. Follow me. Follow others who are like me so that, um, so that they can flesh out for you what it looks like to take biblical principles, godly truth, and live it out on a daily basis. That's why it's so important for you to be involved in a life group or in some kind of mentoring relationship, some kind of accountability group, someone that you've got that relationship with that, that they can show you what it looks like to live for Jesus. Is everybody in your life group um, going to be an all-star model? Probably not. You know, are, is anybody going to be perfect? Not at all. But if you can find somebody in your group that you can say, help show me what it looks like. God's going to use that in an incredible way as a model, as a pattern, as a flesh and blood example of what you read in Scripture. Paul says this in verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I've often told you and now tell you even weeping, Many walk that are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. You know, when I, Paul says you've got to have this example because there are people who are enemies of the cross. There's a phrase in there that, that to me just, uh, I, I, I want this phrase to describe me. I want this phrase to describe us as a church. Paul says, there are people who are enemies of the cross. I, I tell you about them now weeping. My heart breaks as I think about those people in Philippi that are enemies of the cross. Because I recognize that their end is destruction. It's not just that they're going to go through life and be okay. They're going to face God ultimately, and heaven's going to be their eternal destination. My heart grieves for them. I, I want that to permeate everything that we think and do here at North Point. Our, our mission at North Point is to help all people move to a life fully devoted to Jesus. Let me say that again. We, we talk about it a lot. Our mission is to help all people move to a life fully devoted to Jesus. Our mission is not helping everyone who comes to North Point move to a life fully devoted to Jesus. Our mission is not helping all people who live in DeWitt or St. John's or Langsburg or Lansing move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. Our mission is not helping all people who look like me, who believe like me, who pay their bills on time, who drive nice cars, who are educated, who have good social skills, who've never been divorced, who've never dealt with addiction, who've never had an abortion, who've never struggled with porn, move to a life fully devoted to Jesus. Our mission is to help everyone move to a life fully devoted to Jesus. That means broken people poor people, people with political beliefs that are different than yours, to help all people move to a, to a life fully devoted to Jesus. Paul says there are people who are enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their appetite. I remember 
reading this verse as a kid and thinking, that's really weird. Does that mean that those people are like really fat? Uh, you know, what, what's the deal with that? Paul says there are people who are enemies of the cross because their life is consumed by their appetites. Their appetite for power. Their appetite for things. Their appetite for pleasure. Their appetite for stuff, for toys, for money, for whatever. Their God is their appetite. It's that they want more and more of the stuff for them. Their selfishness is their God. Their enemies of the cross. Their glory is their shame. You know, if you're very old at all, you can think back to a time when our culture was very different five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago. And there are things that we take glory in and celebrate now that we were ashamed of long ago. Their glory is their shame. I, I remember a conversation with my grandma. I, I actually, I, I was a little kid, and I remember her having this conversation with my cousins and my older sisters. And she was talking to them about, um, uh, about uh, how they dressed and um, how they communicated to young men. And she said, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, if we showed our ankles, we were ashamed of ourselves. When I was, if, if we showed our ankles, it brought shame on our families because it was immodest. And was drawing attention to ourselves in a sexual way. She grew up at a, she was born in 1898. She grew up at a time that women's skirts, dresses, went all the way to the floor. And to even come up a little bit and show your ankles was shameful. We're not there now, are we? Enemies of the cross glory in their shame. We've got to, we've got to allow God's perspective to shape our view of the world. Last thing he says that is that their minds are on earthly things. Their focus is on the here and now, on what's around us, and they've lost sight of the eternal. They've, they've missed completely the high calling of God in Jesus. Verse 20, Paul says this. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Paul says, hey, here's the deal. There are enemies of the cross. You've got to have a model. You've got to put away the, the stuff in the past. You've got to stretch for what's out in front of you because our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, Peter wrote in, in uh, his first letter and said, you're strangers and aliens on earth, so live to the high calling of Jesus. Our citizenship is in heaven. In, uh, in 1989, I took my first trip outside of the country. I, I took 17 kids on a mission trip to Honduras. I remember that trip uh, so, so clearly. We went into the mountains of Honduras, into a very uh, poor place, um, and we worked for a week. We did all kinds of stuff. We painted uh, a, a medical clinic uh, for the missionaries who were there. We dug into the side of the mountain around the clinic because it was on the side of the mountain. 
we dug in this huge area to try and bring level ground so that a vehicle that came up could pull in and turn around so that the community could come and have a flat area where they could gather and talk and not be standing like this the whole time. It was hard, dirty work. We spent two days planting a thousand trees in a reforestation project on the side of the mountain, carrying trees over, digging holes on the side of the mountain and planting. It was hard work. Remember when we, when we finished that mission trip, pulled back into Miami, um, there was this incredible sense of relief as we came back to the country of our citizenship. It was such a cool thing because when we got to immigrations and immigration and customs, we were U.S. citizens and we could, we could fly through that, that thing where all of the people who were not U.S. national citizens were in these long lines that lasted forever as they were screened to come into the U.S. I, I remember as, as we came through customs, got our stuff, hopped on the plane and flew back to, to, uh, to D.C. to Reagan National Airport at that, uh, National Airport at that point in time. Uh, I've got my group of 17, and as the plane descends to land and hits the ground in D.C., the whole group cheered loudly on the plane for a long time because they were back home again. They were, back, they were no longer foreigners. They were in the, the place that they belonged, the place that they lived, the place of their citizenship. Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. It's not here. It's not all about the stuff that's right here around us now. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's, it's kind of like... Uh, if you go camping, you know, you decide you're going to go camping for four or five days, you, you got your tent, you take your stuff, you go to the campsite, you set everything up, and it's really hot, it's the middle of summer, and you think, this is too hot to camp. So you run to the store, and you get one of those big box fans, right? You buy yourself an extension cord, and you got to have some power, so you go buy a generator so that you can stay cool in your campsite, Right? You go through that process, you get that, you, you get there at night and you, you have the fan blowing on you, you're doing okay, and you think, oh man, there's a game I wanted to see tonight. So you hop back in your car, you go back to the store, you buy yourself a new TV, bring it, set it down in the tent to watch that, sleep well, but the next morning you wake up and you realize your back's kind of messy because you're sleeping on the ground and you think, this isn't good. So you got a buddy who's got a backhoe and you give him a call. They say, hey, can you come level out a spot for me in this campsite so that I can put my tent there and not have to be dealing with this rocky ground kind of thing? He comes, you pay him a bunch of money, you set it, you know, you go buy a mattress, do the whole thing so that you can enjoy this campsite. And then you're there four or five days, and it comes time to go home, and you got all this stuff. And when you go home, you realize that you don't have the resources any longer to take care of the things at home because you've spent them on a temporary place. Do you see where I'm going with this? Our citizenship is in heaven. It's not here. Our investment can't be in this stuff that the world says to us is the dream. To live the dream is to recognize our citizenship is in heaven. We're going to spend some time to just conclude the service this way, I want to invite you. I, 
I don't know, but my sense is that there are a whole lot of folks that are carrying baggage from a long time ago, stuff that they've never released, that they've never gotten rid of. And I want to invite you, once we, once we get into the music, to just come down and talk to God about that. To give that back to Him. Say, God, I've got to, I know it happened, but I've got to stop living there. I've got to stop thinking about it. I've got to stop being controlled and defined by that. I, I think that there are some other people that recognize that you've been coasting and that you need to be in that straining process for your relationship with Jesus. Not to strain to, to, in order to be saved, not to, to work your way in heaven, but to pursue that relationship with Jesus in a way that you haven't because you just got lazy because you've asked for the crowd to cheer you on. I invite you to come down and to just pray and talk to him about that. I, I think that there are probably some people that, that are in desperate need of a model, that desperately need somebody that can show them what it looks like to follow Jesus. I invite you to come down and pray and ask God to do that. It may be that, that the opposite is true for you, that you have this sense that you're supposed to be that model, that mentor for someone, maybe to lead a, a group or whatever. I invite you to come down and talk to God about that. And it may be that you just recognize right now that you've been living as a U.S. citizen, pursuing the dream that's common to all of us who live in this culture and that you've missed that our citizenship is in heaven. I invite you to come down and to just pray and say, God, help me see with your eyes all over again. Change me, transform me, do your work in me. It may be that you're here and you don't know Jesus at all and you want to. Come down and just tell him that. Come, uh, come tell me over here that you want to do that. We'll We'll, we'll lead you through that process to come to understand what it means to follow Jesus. Let's stand together. Let's sing. Come down and pray. We're going to sing a couple of songs to finish the service.